0: This is a News Laundry podcast, and you're listening to NL Interviews. Hello and welcome to News Laundry Conversations. If you've been following news in the media, you would know how COVID-19 hasn't spared the news ecosystem either. It has led to layoffs and shut down local outlets and editions. More importantly, it has laid bare the fallacies of an ad-based model. As tech platforms continue having a dominant share in online ad revenue, Indian publishers are finally waking up more and more publishers are either asking for subscriptions with a paywall or starting a subscription vertical from ground up. There's nothing new about the link between the state of news and ads though. And then the way we consume news and internet today is drastically different from say years ago. We despite ads in general, looking to always skip them and don't get all our news from a single source or a medium. That of course, has led to innovations in how we get our news. There are a bunch of subscription bundle apps and services that bring you news from multiple sources without ads. But can they really sanitize news of ads and make publishers, help them with some money by charging readers directly? Well, let's find out. Hello, I'm And today we have with us Gautam Mishra. Gautam is the founder and CEO of Inkle, a bundle news subscription platform that unlocks coverage from publishers like NYT and Economist with a single $15 $15 US dollar monthly subscription. Think Spotify for news. Originally from Calcutta, Gautam is based out of Melbourne. And with Inkle, he wants to make reliable news accessible to everyone. Hi, Gautam. Welcome to News Laundry Conversation.
1: Hi, Chitranshu. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure.
0: Great. So Gautam, before I sort of dive in, could you quickly give us the value proposition of Inkle? How does Inkle fit in uh, into my daily news r- routine? Because nowadays we get our news from multiple sources and multiple formats.
1: Sure. So and before I do that, I should just actually clarify our pricing in India is different. Um, in India, we charge 250 rupees per month. Great. So it's yes. a much lower price point than internationally. Um, but the proposition for Inkle is that of any marketplace. You know, Our goal is to make it easier, faster, and more affordable for readers to access news that's behind paywalls. I started Inkle after setting up and running one of the paywalls here in Australia for the Sydney Morning Herald and The Age and realized very quickly that not too many people will be able to afford to buy multiple subscriptions. So our goal ultimately is to make paid news that is behind paywalls easier to get to and in the process to create an experience that's worth paying for. That means getting rid of the ads, getting rid of the clickbait, having our own algorithms and editors for curating and finding different stories that you wouldn't see on social media or search and creating an experience that's, as I said earlier, worth paying for.
0: Okay. Uh, them. like you said, so the idea behind Inkle is to create a marketplace for news publishers, right? Yeah. Now, like I said, in the intro, more and more publishers are going to the reader supported route. In fact, in India also, uh, legacy publications and pe- publications for who for the longest time dependent entirely on ad, they are also getting into subscription. So in a scenario where publishers are building their own subscription, vertical or subscription model, so to say, and Inkle, what Inkle essentially does is it gets you news from multiple premium sources and charges you as a bundled amount. Yeah. Uh, how do you manage to do that without not cannibalizing a publisher's own subscription model? So
1: the answer to this is um, it comes down to which customer So if you think of all customers being the same, then you would see this as a cannibalization risk. But the reality is that each reader is different and what readers want out of a news experience is different. And one of the things I realized from setting up and running online subscriptions for uh, Fairfax Media in Australia is that there are a lot of people out there. In fact, most people out there are not paying. To put this in perspective, there's about 2.6 billion people reading news online, if you add up all the online subscribers right now, you'd struggle to get to 25 million. That's less than 1%. 99% of readers are not paying for news today. And they're not paying because it's too expensive. It's too difficult. They don't have time. They don't read enough from one source. They can't afford it. There's a whole lot of reasons. So we know that there is a market out there that can be convinced to pay, but not through those direct paywalls. And we've seen that, right? We've seen it in music, we've seen it in video. I mean, before Spotify came along, very Mm -hmm. few people paying for music, right? So we want to unlock that same willingness to pay amongst those users who are not buying those paywalls today. At the same time, there is this scandalization concern. And what we did with Inkle was from day one, we designed this entire platform in such a way that it would frustrate someone who would become a direct consumer or a direct subscriber. For example, what we found was that people who become direct subscribers are seven times more likely to go into a specific section of a news website that they subscribe to rather than just scrolling down the homepage. What this meant for us at Inkle is not recreating that publisher experience. we show you the articles, but if you want to get to a particular section, let's say you're looking for the money and investing section of the Wall Street Journal, that's not something you can find. Right. And by creating that differentiation in not just the content but the user experience, it ensures that it's easier for users to understand what they're looking for and which channel to choose. And this is not unique to us or to news. Right. This is a question that every marketplace has to answer in every industry. Right. If you're going to set up a mall the first thing a shopkeeper is going to ask you is why should I come to your mall and I'm going to be sharing the customer's willingness to buy with every other shopkeeper in the mall versus going and setting up my own store.
0: And Mm. the answer
1: to that is do both. If you can convince someone to come and buy from you directly, you must do that because you will capture all the value from that customer. You get hundred percent share of wallet. But what about all the customers who won't come to you? And this is why even the world's most powerful brand, Apple, you will find them selling their product not only through their own app store and their own physical stores, but also through Amazon's website because they realize that there are some consumers who will never come direct. But the difference is that what you can get through Amazon is completely different. The range of products, the pricing, the availability, the experience is all different from what you can get directly from Apple. And that is the key even for us. You know, if we have done this from day one, very carefully to ensure that what we provide is not the same as what the publishers provide. So that for the consumer, that choice becomes easy. And okay. ultimately, we can convince a lot more people to pay for news.
0: Okay, okay. So if you look at the ecosystem right now, there are a lot of bundle apps right now. By bundle apps, what I mean is, so for example, uh, there there are podcast apps like Curio and Autumn. I think Autumn was purchased by NYT a while back. And what what the what Audum and Curio do is they essentially bring you the best of the long form of feature writing in premium news outlets, and they, they bring it to you in podcast forms. Uh, like that you have something like scroll also which, which is not similar to what Inkle does, but it also gives you an ad free experience of premium websites. So as someone who has spent a lot of time in the news industry, and, I, and if I'm not wrong, Inkel started in 2014, right? 2014, yes, 2015. So, so that's a yes. long time uh, yeah. uh, uh, f- for a news, news product. So yeah. why do you think there's an upsurge in bundle products?
1: So it comes down, it's a, look, it's a great question. And it comes down to the way that information is changing. And I'm really happy you asked this question because there's not a lot of conversation about this, right? One of the first things that you see when you look at news consumption today versus 20 years ago is the breadth of information requirement has changed dramatically. 20 years ago, if you were in Delhi, it was fine for you to mostly concentrate on news from Delhi because that was what was gonna affect you. Right. Today, you cannot do that. You have to now see news from all over India, all over Asia. You have to see what's happening in America. You know what's happening in China, right? It's just become as the world's become more connected. The breadth of information required has grown. Mm -hmm. The second thing that's happened is the speed of information has grown. So again, in the past, you could wait to get the news from that one outlet, even if it took them longer, even if they got to it in a day or two days or five days or seven days, it was okay. Now, the half-life of a news story is what, two, three, four hours. So you don't just need broader information, you need faster information. So you cannot rely on just one news outlet to do that. You have to get to multiple outlets. And ultimately, the third big thing is specialization. 20 years ago, if your car broke down, you could figure it out. You could lift up the hood, you could look at a manual, you could maybe repair the car. Today, if you have one of these modern cars and it breaks down and you open it, it's all electronics and computers Mm -hmm. inside, you won't be able to figure out what's gone wrong with it, right? Mm -hmm. That same notion of specialization is happening in every sphere. So when you want to find out about what's happening with Trump, you actually need to hear from the Americans. When you want to know what's happening with Brexit, you want to hear from the Brits. Right. If you want to understand what's happening in Hong Kong, you actually need to get it from the South China Morning Post because there is a depth of knowledge and a specialization that is hard to do without that. And that's why 40% of readers now are looking for news from more than four sources in a week.
0: So sort of jumping on to how Inkel hosts content, a large chunk of misinformation and false news online has to do with how we consume news. So, for example, when you consume news on platforms like Facebook and Twitter, they have their own algorithm to sort of decide which news or content piece you should see. Mm -hmm. And it's not only driven by what are my interests, what place I am living in and what I am more likely to click, but they also sort of analyze as to what content is more likely to get a reaction out of a person. (laughs) which is one of the reason why misinformation spreads so quickly and why uh, uh, when it comes to content moderation, platforms have tiptoed around it and haven't done a good job about it, often calling it or often washing their hands off it by saying that they don't want to be an arbiter of truth. So I was just looking at an Inkle app, while it does have filter. So for example, it has filters like sports and entertainment. It it also has topic and sources. Uh, There is uh, the homepage of the Inkle app is not driven by the kind of news I consume or the kind of interest I might have. It seems to there is some editorial control to it. So so how how does the algorithm work? Like who decides or what decides what kind of story may make it to the homepage or a certain section page? So there are actually
1: two questions buried in what you just said. I'll tackle the question about the algorithm first, but I want to come back to a broader discussion about product architecture. Um, Mm -hmm. And again, I want to come back to that because that's not something that people discuss very often. I think it's actually really important, particularly Mm -hmm. in the context of fake news. On the algorithm front, what we found was that, and our goal from day one was not to serve you clickbait, right? We had seen what various apps had done, and you know, we can follow the Jin Ritao sort of model and you know really optimize, use AI models and show you a lot of clickbait to get a lot of engagement. But that ultimately we felt is harmful for society. You know, the fundamental role of a news organization is to inform people to make better choices. That doesn't happen if you surface clickbait. And so when we designed the Inkle algorithm, we found that by looking at how news publishers rank stories we could aggregate that information and get a clearer picture of what the most important stories of the day are, right? There's, le- there's not a lot of serial correlation in the news. What that means is I cannot look at today's story, I cannot look at yesterday's stories and make an accurate prediction of what's important today. But I can look at what's at the top of the news laundry homepage, what's at the top of the New York Times homepage and see if those two things are the same and make an assessment on whether something really important has happened. So our algorithm starts with that sort of ranking. We monitor those rankings in real time, and that informs our primary scoring. And then, as you said, we have editors who go through and look at the most relevant, the latest, the richest, the longest stories on those topics and curate a really high-quality lead stories feed. And, you know, it's interesting you bring this up because it is one of the things that our readers tell us is different, You know, they say that the top 10 stories that you see on Inkle are unlike anything you will see on any other product because we are fundamentally different in how we are curating and why we are curating those stories. But if you don't mind, I'd like to go back to that broader question about product architecture. Sure. Because Facebook gets a lot of criticism for not being able to police fake news, right? I actually have some sympathy for them Hmm. because... The fundamental problem with fake news is you cannot police it at the article level or at the claim level within an article, right? What the the problem originates much higher up the stack. The first problem that products like Facebook and Twitter have is that they are open networks. Anytime you have an open network, by definition, it means anyone can publish anything. And that in itself is a hugely problematic position for a news uh, context right? Because in news, the you have to be very careful about who the source of news is. So that's one of the first things we did. When we designed Inkle, we said it's not going to be an open network, it's going to be a closed platform. And we only work with publishers by invitation. And we look at publishers who have a strong track record of correction. That is the single most important factor for deciding whether a publisher should be on the platform or not. Because all publishers get stories wrong from time to time.
0: Mm-hmm. The
1: publishers you want to get the news from are the ones who've fix their mistakes, right? And correct the stories. And so that's the first point. And then the second point is that, you know, a social network is ultimately a dating platform, right? It's not building romantic relationships, but it is building relationships, right? Their goal is to try and get people to react because if you and I react to the same story, our bonds get stronger, right? That is almost diametrically opposed to what a news organization should do. News organization should not just be showing what you and I will both react to It should be finding the things that you don't know or the things that I don't know, right? If you think about greatest common factor versus least common multiple going back to arithmetic class, right?
0: Yeah,
1: social network is the greatest common factor. A news organization is the least common multiple, right? They're Mm -hmm. completely different things. And again, this gets lost in the mix. And people start to get after Facebook and say, why are you showing me fake news? They're designed to do something other than news. You know, it's not actually a news platform. It's just been used for news and that was a mistake. And I think you'll find them stepping away from that because it's an unwinnable war for them.
0: Correct. In fact, uh, Google and Facebook have just uh, on record said also that it, they won't really care if the news business is taken away from them <laughs> or because of the, yeah. all the antitrust <laughs> scrutiny, which I don't believe in, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, there's
1: a little bit of, um, yeah, there's a little bit of positioning happening there. Mm. Right. And Argument is that the proportion of traffic and consumption and ads that are related to news articles or news searches is quite small, and that may be the fact. Mm-hmm. But that is very misleading because the point is that without that, their product cannot work; it's incomplete. Yeah. Right. Would you use a search engine? If it did not have any Google search results, even if nine out of 10 times, you are not searching for news. If you could not use it for news, you would not use it. Right. So their positioning on that is a little bit misleading and ultimately, you know, I think a lot of this is happening in Australia, actually, where the publishers asking Google to and Facebook to pay them $600 million a year. Yeah. And if that happens in Australia, you know, it's gonna cost these guys billions and billions of dollars around the world. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes. In fact, in fact, I'll come back
0: to that question. But uh, it's interesting what you said about uh, the open and closed system by design, and just to pull you back, uh, in the conversation around content moderation yeah. uh, just in terms of a closed system. I think why it helped journalism for Facebook to have an open system. And just like from our personal experience, like news laundry was started back in 2014. Mm. And if we didn't have internet, it would have been a lot more difficult for us to start a media organization because conventionally to start a media organization before and uh, even before the internet era, you you, for example, you need to have uplinking and downlinking of satellite. You need to have a printing press for a newspaper. But in a way, and, and I think that's where platforms like Facebook and Twitter sort of facilitated the transition of journalism from print to digital, because if say a smaller publisher like news laundry comes in, it gives us an equal footing and an equal platform to have our stories published and distributed at a scale that is available at the same size to times of India as well. So I think it it, it did really help in that way. But where the sort of criticism comes in, and this is something that I would want your opinion on, while it is true that by design, the platform is open, but I think the way the algorithms are also structured. So for example, there have been research done on how the algorithm of YouTube sort of facilitates the kind of extremism and hate content because that content will always drive more reaction and clicks. And especially, you know, with the kind of scrutiny that's happening uh, on the role of big tech and platforms in journalism. Do you think it's a fair criticism or do you think it's, it's, it's hard to weigh in on this debate? Again, I think
1: there's a few facets to your question. I think the first one is Uh, No, I don't think it's an algorithm problem, right? I think it is a system design problem, because it goes back to that idea of an open network versus a closed platform. The whole point of an open network is to drive network effects. That is how these platforms became as big as they did, right, is through those network effects. Those network effects only exist because of those algorithms. Right? You cannot have one without the other. You cannot have the concept of having Facebook giving you a lot of distribution as a new publisher without that same algorithm, right? So changing that context now and saying, but they should change the algorithm, I think that's a bit unfair, right? If you like the open network structure, you have to like the algorithm that goes with it because they are a pair. However, the problem is that it, it's not actually... Um, the distribution volume, it's your ARPU, it's your revenue per user. The reason why as a new publisher, you need millions and millions of readers is because you make so little money per reader. And that's the advertising business model. That is the fundamental problem in news. If you made $200 per user per reader per year, you could cover your costs and break even and be profitable with very few subscribers. Right. So, so, so the business model of news is actually the problem. there, not the algorithm of Facebook, right? That is my personal view. But the other thing is also you cannot police this at the individual article level. I'll give you an example, right? So when Breitbart started to become really big, I spent a lot of time reading Breitbart articles to understand what was really going on. And they had a story about 48% unemployment in the US. Okay, Mm -hmm. and what they had done was they cited stories from Bloomberg, from economists, from Washington Post, citing Labor of uh, Department of Labor statistics. They just twisted the way some of those numbers were combined, the way subtly somehow how the numbers were portrayed. Right. And they said it was actually population that was not participating in the workforce was 48 percent. They mischaracterized it as unemployment rate. So the, you know, the problem is when you start to try to do this policing at the article level, it becomes mm. too subtle and too complex. And that is the problem that Facebook is having, right? They're saying we cannot do this because if you want to lie, if you have decided to lie, you can get around the algorithm too easily, right? You can just portray it slightly differently. You can misconstrue it. You can leave it vague. People will misunderstand you that's why it has to be done at a higher level you have to do it at the publisher level you have to say i will certainly i will not let certain publishers on the platform because they are intentionally misleading people or even at a higher level you say i will not you know make this an open network effect based model i will make a closed platform i mean look at netflix look at spotify why yeah. don't those guys why don't those guys just let you bring anyone's content in those are both closed platforms right mm-hmm and that's not because they can't keep it open. SoundCloud is an alternative to Spotify. SoundCloud is an open network, right? Anyone can create information and, you know, files on SoundCloud. But the reason Spotify doesn't do that is because they say quality is really important to them. So you have Correct. to have that closed platform structure rather than the open network.
0: Correct. Okay. So, uh, Gautam, you're in Australia. And as someone who's been part of the news industry and now has a product for it, how do you see the decision by the Australia's Co- it, it's the it's Australia's competition council, right? It's it was a committee uh, triple a- by- C, the Australian Competition Commission. Yeah. So so how do you see their stance to sort of make big tech pay directly to journalistic publishers? What do you it's, make of it? It's completely
1: ridiculous. Um, I mean, you, you can't do that. Like It's just it's complete nonsense, right? So uh, you know, you cannot suddenly arbitrarily change the rules and just penalize a couple of companies just because you want to try and, you know, put a bandaid. Like, if I give you an analogy, right? Like when somebody has cancer, you don't cure it by giving them a bandaid, right? Mm. You have to find the root cause of the actual problem. They are trying to get Facebook and Google to hand over $600 million, it's not gonna work, right? Just like the European government was trying to get Apple to pay them $14 billion, right? And that happened yesterday and they lost the case. Um, You know, you cannot do these things. Uh, These are not, you know, if you take a coding metaphor, these are not runtime decisions, right? These are design time decisions. And so I I do agree. I do agree that there is a big imbalance in power, okay, that no one publisher can have any kind of sensible negotiation with Facebook because there is just a complete mismatch of power. I I agree with that. But you cannot suddenly short circuit all of that and say, Okay, we will solve this by making you hand those guys a check. There is no basis for that. There's no basis for that in law. There's no precedent for that. There is no analogy in any other industry. It's just completely crazy. And ultimately, I would also say it's not good for the industry. You know, I think the thing that news has missed for a long time is independence. You know, and the thing that I'm most optimistic, I'm one of the few people who's actually very positive and optimistic about news.
0: Yeah,
1: (laughs) I am is because I see the publishers becoming more independent. Right. For a long time, everyone was very dependent on Google and Facebook and begging for, you know, more traffic and algorithms and all these kinds of things. Right. Now the publisher saying, you know what, I'll be in charge of my own destiny. I'll build my own traffic. I'll convince my readers to pay. I'll build my own subscription business. I think that is ultimately the most positive thing for news.
0: Correct. Correct. But on a, on an intrinsic level, do you think tech platforms or publishers anything for distributing their content for free or do you think that that's fairly okay given that publishers get distribution and reach for the content and platforms get content and more users can be on the platforms to actually access that content?
1: See, if the publishers want to remove it, they can remove it, right? I mean, you, the,
0: the, you know, the, the funny thing
1: is that most of the publishers who are complaining about this also have free RSS feeds. Mm-hmm. Right? You cannot You cannot publish an RSS feed on the one hand, and then also say, oh, but Google's going to pay me for search results, right? If you don't want Google to index your articles, don't let it index your articles, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it, it, it's not a hard problem for the publishers to solve. Um, I think there is a value that comes back to the publishers. It was greater in the past, right? The reason this conversation is happening now is because the value of that traffic coming from Facebook and Google has declined, right? So over the last several years, it got to what, 70, 80%, even for big established legacy publishers, right? 70, 80% of traffic was coming in from Facebook and Google. And yeah. while they're making money just through selling ads, 16 ad units on a page, that was fine, right? Now that no one is buying those ads, now the value of the traffic cannot come from the advertiser. So they're saying, okay, it must come from Facebook and Google themselves. And I don't think that's really... I, mm-hmm. I don't think that's good for the publisher. I don't think it's going to work. Honestly, correct. I think okay. the better strategy is to, you know, just take control of the audience and build that subscription business.
0: Mm-hmm. So your point is basically that publishers publisher should know better and like build their own, essentially build their own subscription model rather than being dependent on platforms like Facebook and Google. Yeah,
1: because, you know, just take a second and think about why Facebook got into news in the first place, right? Facebook didn't get into the news because it wants to be a publisher. It got into news simply because there's a limit to how much information any one user will share about their actual life, right? Mm -hmm. And so, but they need to have constantly updated feeds, otherwise people won't come back to Facebook. And so they said, okay, where can I find unlimited content? Oh, I can find it in news and so they said, okay, let's integrate with news and this problem we have of people having a finite limit to how much personal content they will share is suddenly solved by having infinite news content. Now Mm -hmm. I can show you 1500 articles in your feed. I can show you so many more ads and I give you a reason to keep coming back every five minutes, every 10 minutes. I can make this thing more addictive, right? Correct. If that content starts to cost more than they can make through the ads, they're going to back away. In any case, I think now it's being replaced anyway with video, right? What they're finding is that video, video ad rates, video engagement is all better than news articles. So I think what will happen is if this gets pushed too far, these platforms will just say, okay, you know what, it's not worth the headache.
0: Yeah, you can just have your in-house TikTok. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Okay, so uh, Gotham. so coming back to Inkle. So Inkle uh, was started in 2014. We're in 2020 right now. And you mentioned briefly also, that over the years, you've also sort of fine tuned the product, taking into consideration the feedback you got from the users. I'm sure in 2014, the news ecosystem was a lot different. Like if you look at internationally or overseas, like in india we didn't have subscription outlets but nyt and and the likes of other like international legacy pub- publication they were already trying out publications a uh, subscription model how how has the journey changed for you and and what are some of the major changes you have made on Inker in the last three, four years, depending on how the ecosystem has changed? Sure.
1: Um, look, I think the, the it's really interesting. Actually, the journey itself has gone 180 degrees in the other direction, right? So when I started, I knew this problem was coming because I ran the numbers, right. And I sort of looked at what was happening with the business and sort of just by way of background. So I got into news, out of management consulting, I did my MBA at Wharton in the US and then joined management consulting and then came to the news industry as an outsider, right, and with an analytical sort of approach to problem solving. And so I looked at this from a numbers perspective back in 2014. And I said, Well, it's pretty obvious what has to happen here. And it's all going to go towards subscriptions, ad price is going to come down, there's not going to be enough ad revenue, everyone's going to lock up the content, right. Uh, But when we launched, we talked about having created Spotify for news. And to your point, Nobody cared. We got a lot of coverage. We were in TechCrunch. We were everywhere, right? And people were saying, oh, these guys have created Spotify for news. It's amazing. And the journalists were the only ones who were excited. You know, the readers would read it and nobody signed up. And that's because as you said, they want that many paywalls. In fact, it was really funny. I came to India at the time and I spoke to some of the CEOs of some of the publishers and they said, No, everything's good. Life is good. Print is growing, digital is growing, mobile is growing, everything's growing. In fact,
0: that would have been the conversation had you come before the COVID-19 breakout also. Everybody happy being dependent entirely on ads.
1: Yeah. And you know, I just said, okay, fine. You know, there's sort of a, clearly a time lag here, it is the same structure, it will be the same pattern. But there's a delay in when that will happen. And we could see that happening in the more mature markets first, it happened in the US first, then the UK, then Australia is there? Okay, eventually it'll happen everywhere. But there's a time lag. Now what's happened is that demand for Spotify for news is growing exponentially. Every single day I'm getting tagged on Twitter or LinkedIn or someplace by someone who's tweeted. And invariably now it's actually VCs, right? In the early days when we spoke to the VCs and said, Hey, we built Spotify for news. They said, who needs a Spotify for news? All the news is free. Mm
0: -hmm. Now it's
1: actually the VCs themselves are tweeting and saying, Oh, someone really needs to build a Spotify for news. And then eventually someone will tag me and say, Oh, these guys already did it. it,
0: Correct. Correct.
1: So, yeah, so there's been a substantial change in terms of the industry landscape and um, the interest in our business model. Um, I think what that's changed for us as well is, you know, when we went to market initially, we were thinking the business model was a proposition. And along the way, since we were early in the market and the business model didn't resonate, it forced us to get much better at product. It forced us to say, okay, it's not about the paywalls. It's got to be about the experience. So then we started getting into, okay, how do you make this thing really unique and different and an experience worth paying for? How do you improve the algorithms? How do you improve the user experience? You know, the Inkle articles, if you open the app and you tap on an article, they open instantly. It's one of the fastest news apps in the world, right? And we put all that time and effort into those sorts of features because we really wanted to make it uh, something that people would pay for, right? So now, even though... The Spotify for news proposition is a lot stronger. I think the key differentiator for us is, you know, these features like below every article, we have a thing called Dive Deeper, where we show you the same article from six perspectives. And this is fascinating because it goes against the grain of the internet. Because everywhere you look on the internet, consumption is getting shallower, right? So most people now just look at a headline and no one clicks through. Whereas on Inco, we're almost creating like binge reading behavior, sort of like what Netflix did, right? Where people read one article, then they go to the next one, then they go to the next one. We can see this in the data, right? That they're just tunneling deeper and deeper and deeper and building expertise in a topic, which is fascinating for us because ultimately that's what we want to do. We want to create experts, right? So that then when those guys make decisions or when they talk about that topic, they really know what they're talking about. Mm -hmm. And that is... Again, like from a product perspective, you know, that's where our focus is on actually creating a unique proposition and user experience.
0: Yeah, in fact, it's interesting. Uh, in fact, I read it somewhere. Uh, I think you were giving a text interview somewhere that your conversion from free to paid users is around 15%, which is an insane percentage. So, <laughs> so clearly you guys must be doing a lot of good work at the interface level and driving the right news for the right user. To have that kind yeah. of a conversion rate. Yeah, absolutely. Look, and it's a, actually, um,
1: you know, we look at leading indicators like uh, day one and day two uh, retention. So, what we find is that if we can get you to come back on day two, our conversion rate's even higher. It's north of 20%.
0: Okay. Gautam, when you approach a publisher, let's just say if you approach a pub uh, publisher, what is your main pitch to them? Is your main pitch that by being on Inkle, you will essentially diversify your revenue stream and decrease your dependence on say like uh, on on tech platforms or uh, uh, on on advertisements or is it the pitch that hey that we have an app where already a lot of like thousands and millions of people are already getting news from uh, premium sources around the world so you also get a large section of an audience who might not know your brand and who might want to subscribe to you in the later run.
1: Yeah, so the proposition is on two levels, right? So on a more tactical individual publisher level, it is exactly that is there are readers. We have readers in every country except North Korea and the Vatican, right? <laughs> okay. So why the you know, Vatican? It,
0: why? That's uh, a, that's I don't a... know, man. I don't know. <laughs> I'd love to have the Pope
1: reading Enkel, but he doesn't. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but um, maybe one day. Um, mm. But, you know, so, so there are readers all over the world who will not discover your content. And this is some of the feedback we get, right? Like you take, um, you know, there's a um, publisher out of the Middle East called Asharkal of Sadh. Okay, now who has heard of Al Awsat? but if you're trying to find out about what's happening in the Middle East, they've actually got a much better insight than let's say the New York Times, right? And so that's been really interesting because getting that kind of exposure globally is good both for the reader and for the publisher. So that's tactically one of our proposition, but ultimately the proposition for the publisher is the main goal and the vision of Inko, right? Mm-hmm. Which is that we want to try and convince half a billion people, 500 million people to start paying for news. We think that is the level of free-to-paid conversion that is required to save the news industry globally. We all say we want to save the news industry. We all say we want a healthy fourth estate. We want a healthy press sector where you have people doing good work, journalists getting paid enough, multiple points of view on the news. The only way that happens is if, and maybe it's not 500 million, but it's at least 250, 300 million people. Okay. And today, there are only 25 million people. So to get that number to grow tenfold, that is our goal. And there is only one way that is known in any industry to make that happen. And that is a marketplace. That is what Amazon did for books. That is what Spotify did for music. That is what Netflix and Hulu did for video. That is what Etsy did for craft, right? Every single sector you look at, it is that one answer. That is the vision. That is what we're trying to achieve, right? And that's ultimately the pitch for the publisher.
0: Hmm. Because if
1: 500 million people are paying, everyone is going to be fine. You know, everyone will be getting enough money. Yeah, some will get more, some will get less, fine. Hmm. But there will be enough investment in the sector, enough money in the sector, that people will be able to make a living doing this, which is fundamentally the problem right now, right? In Australia, this year, we've had about a 1000 journalists laid off. Yesterday in The Guardian, they said, you know, they're laying off 70 journalists in the UK, right? everywhere you look, we are getting fewer and fewer people covering more and more news that is happening in more and more places at a faster and faster speed. It's unsustainable. Uh, so
0: just to... I have, I had two questions. I'll sort of bundle them into one, Gautam. Okay. First is, what is the road ahead for Inkle? How do you see things changing? And my second question is, I sort of tried... Uh, so I actually write a newsletter on media, it's called Stop Press. And in fact, this will be part of the newsletter, which sort of looks specifically into the subscription bundle ecosystem. And that's why I sort of brought up Autumn and Curio also. So I try really hard that what if there are products or services similar to what Inkel is trying to do, I actually didn't find anything in the tech space, there is scroll, but the intent and the mission of scroll is very different. It's more around making news entirely ad-free. So A, what is what is your timeline ahead? And B, why do you think there is such a vacuum? Because like you said, you started in 2014. It's been a while and we know yeah. what has been the impact of platforms and yeah. how ad is inherently a broken model for news. So why do you think Intel is the only platform doing it? So it is incredibly hard to get these content deals, right? Um,
1: like the stories I could tell you, and I won't bore your listeners with this right now, but you know, at some point I'm happy to <laughs> go into more detail on what it has taken to get these mm-hmm. content deals. You know, it is not for the faint of heart. Mm. And we have seen a lot of startups come in and out of the market, right? Every few months there'll be someone who comes up with this idea and we'll track them and we'll see what they're doing. They just can't get the content deals. Right. It's just, it's incredibly hard to pull this off, you know, and this is it's really interesting when you hear Daniel Eck talking about Spotify, you know, he talks about the same thing. He talks about the sheer level of difficulty of getting the content deals. Right? People underestimate that. That's the first thing. The second thing is once you have the content deals, your work is only just starting. Then you have to actually build a positive unit economic model, hmm. right? You have to make sure that enough people are buying enough things because, you know, Amazon is only Amazon because we all keep going back to buy more things, Right. So it's not enough to have the supply. You have to create an engine that people want to consume and buy from. You know, I, On Inkle, people are buying on average 70 articles every month. We have a micropayment model, okay, where you can just pay per article instead of buying a monthly subscription. People buy 30 articles per month. You ask anyone else, the conventional wisdom is that micropayments don't work. Well, guess what? On Inkle, they do, right? Mm. And that's because of all of that work on the unit economic model. So again, if you can't get the content, if you can't get the unit economic model, you don't have a business, right? So we do see people coming in and out, but they just, they can't survive. They can't make it because the model's not there. Scroll is an ad blocker that only works on some
0: news websites, right? And you know, my, uh, my, uh, just uh, just so our mm-hmm. listeners have the same context, the scroll that we're talking about here is scroll.com and not scroll.in, yes. which is an Indian publisher. Scroll.com, yeah. uh, what it essentially does is if you, if you are using the services, it has a partnership with a bunch of p- publishers and if you activate the service, it basically removes all the ads. Yeah, Gotham, yeah. go ahead. I and just look, I, to, and, and yeah. yeah,
1: and 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 look, I, I know Tony Hale, the guy who started that, and he's a really smart guy, great guy. You know, in fact, I was speaking to him just a couple of weeks ago, and you know, I'm interested to see what he's doing, but. As a consumer, I don't get it. I have to confess, right? Like you can get an ad blocker for free that works on every website in the on the internet. Why would you get a paid ad blocker that only works on certain select news websites? It doesn't make any sense to me. Mm-hmm. Right? But the proposition ultimately from Inkle's perspective is completely different, right? It's that of a Spotify for news. Hmm. And as, as we've discussed, you know, that's just an incredibly hard thing to do. I mean, even Apple has tried it and they can't get the content.
0: Okay, so uh, it's, I'm, I'm very intrigued with the mission statement that you sort of laid out, Gautam, for Inkel, yeah. which is essentially to drive the number of paying users for news. Now, uh, and this is, this is like a recurring debate that keeps, that keeps coming up. Journalism or news is in public interest. So a lot of people have argued that it should, it, it should be something that should be publicly available and accessible to everyone without the ability to pay for news. Otherwise, what happens if journalism will essentially become like an ecosystem of a select few of the elite, only those who can afford to pay. So as someone who has like a paid for news product, where do you weigh in that debate? Because increasingly, and I think we'll reach a time where almost everything will be behind the paywall. Yeah, look,
1: I, I find it very amusing because yeah, yeah, sure. News should be free. It's a public right. Guess what? So is healthcare. So is education. <laughs> so is housing. Okay, so let's do those ones first. And then we okay. can come back to news. You know, mm. why is news being singled out, right? Why is news the one thing that everyone's saying, oh, no, no, everything else I'm happy to pay for, right? But incorrect, you know, Air costs are going up housing costs are going up education costs are going up, but news must remain free. That's just insane. right? You want that to be free? Okay, let's go into a completely socialist model, <laughs> you know, make everything free. And then fine news can also be free. Yeah,
0: I think it's I think it's interesting for publishers also to sort of find that balance. Like at News Laundry, we have certain content behind the paywall. Sure. But most of our reportage and most of our, uh, like, uh, writings from the ground; these, those are essentially available to everyone. So I think th- uh, that's that, that's a. Uh that that's a line that publishers have to sort of walk on consistently, yeah. And rather you know, than look, putting everything I, behind the paywall,
1: and 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 I I don't think that's that you know unusual. That is just basic corporate social responsibility, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think you know if you look at um the discussion around the vaccines right now, right? A lot of the companies that are racing to make vaccines, in you know, the pharmaceutical companies, they have pledged a zero profit. Approach, and they've said, you know, if we can come up with a vaccine, they will produce and distribute the profits without looking uh, the, the vaccines without looking for profit because they think it is the corporate responsible sort of thing to do, right? It is ultimately important for humanity, and so it's the same sort of thing, right? If There's a tsunami coming. You're not going to lock it up and say, I'm not going to tell you about it, right? Publishers have a corporate social responsibility, and I'd say publishers probably have more of that than others, but that is a very different thing than saying. You know, news is the one public utility that must be remained for free. You know, if it's really that important as a public utility, then let the government
0: pay for it. (laughs) (laughs) Hmm, Interesting, interesting. I like I said, there again you have
1: problems, right?
0: (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, because that would mean those who cannot afford, uh, and especially I think in India, news is still uh, uh, like the subscription rates are still not that high. Uh, but if you go to especially in US and, and countries in Europe the subscription price it quite is quite steep. So if you're someone who's struggling with uh, say with healthcare and education already you are, you are very unlikely to also subscribe to a news organization. And hence, you will not be reading a lot of news as to what the government might be up to or what might be happening in the country.
1: And this is exactly why Inkel is here, right? That is exactly (laughs) the problem we're solving, right? We're saying you're exactly right. You know, it has to be affordable. And, you know, that problem cuts both ways. It's a problem for the reader because the reader can't afford it and get the information. It's a problem for the publisher because they're not getting any money from that reader, right? Correct. That is exactly the problem we're solving. So it has to be affordable, right? I completely agree with that. But I I fundamentally disagree with the idea that you single out this one product, you know, that you say everybody else must get paid for their work, but the journalist must work for free. I think that's just nonsense.
0: I was just looking at my notes that that's one of the things that I had noted down that Inkel has essentially three ways to pay. You can either get like a monthly recurring subscription uh, or you can get like a annual subscription or you can pay... Per, uh, like you can pay per article or per content, which is essentially like a micropayment model. Yeah. Now, one of, one of the biggest reasons why people have argued that micropayment doesn't work because in a subscription model, a lot of your relationship and a lot of your uh, subscription outreach is dependent on the relationship you have with the reader and the kind of loyalty and confidence and trust the reader has in you. Now, when you are doing a micropayment model, and I, I think this works in the context of Inkle also, if I am reading, getting my news on Inkle, I'm getting it from multiple platforms. I, the brand recall for a certain or for a single organization will be a lot less as compared to me reading the news on that platform. And that's why people have sort of argued that how micropayment is not the best way as far as the subscription model is concerned so a if you can weigh in on that and secondly in the context of inkle sure so i think that's
1: conflating two different issues right so there is an issue around brand recall which is um, not an issue specific to micro payments it's an issue to any off platform consumption right brand recall is a problem whether you are consuming it for free or for paid on subscription or micro on search on social right brand recall becomes a problem the moment you're going off platform and and that is a problem if it is cannibalizing those direct subscribers, right? So we talked about this earlier, right? For people who don't have that brand recall, who don't care about that brand affinity, it is not an issue because it is incremental reach. You know, out of two and a half billion readers, how many of those readers actually are, um, you know, already have any kind of even brand awareness, forget recall, right? So if you can get those people in and you can create a little bit of awareness or create a little bit of monetization, that can be hugely incremental. So long as you make sure it doesn't cannibalize that core group where recall and monetization and subscription, willingness to pay, those criteria are prevalent and that audience needs to be protected, right? So that cannibalization, that takes us back to that cannibalization question. Um, but your other point, which is not really about um, you know brand recall, is much more about why micropayments haven't worked. And that has to do with cognitive load, right? It has to go with the cognitive load of making a purchase. If you think about how you go to a news website, What do you do? You go down, you scroll down, you see something you like, you read it. Okay. Now Mm -hmm. you you think about you go to an e-commerce website. What do you do? You go, you scroll down. You don't go and buy the first thing you see that interests you, right? You think about it. You say, okay, maybe, maybe. And a lot of times you would go through an entire session on an e-commerce website and not click on anything. Right. And then maybe you come back or maybe once in three sessions you buy something. That is the problem with micropayments, because you basically end up creating an e-commerce store, but one where because it's a micropayment, the transaction value is so small that it does not create any value for the publisher. So Blendle is a good example of this. Blendle was also doing micropayments, but in Blendle's case, they could only sell four to five articles per reader per month. Okay, so if you're only selling four to five articles, you're not creating enough value. It goes back to that Amazon example, right? Amazon would not be anywhere if people were not buying regularly from Amazon, right? So the key difference that we found when we were designing the micropayment model, we found that there was only one other successful micropayment example in the world, and that was iTunes. And what iTunes had done very successfully was it had convinced everyone to sell content at the same price. So when you wanted a song on iTunes, you didn't think about it being a purchase. You just said, I'm just going to hit the button. It became a get button. Right? If you ask people now, what did that button look like? Was it a blue button or a gray button, orange button? Was it rectangular, square, round? People don't remember any of that, but everyone tapped that button hundreds of times, bought lots of songs, right? Built their library. And that's the epiphany we had with Inkle. We said, every, every article has to cost 10 cents. It has to cost 10 cents because when every article costs 10 cents, we no longer have to show price next to every headline. And the moment you remove price, you go back to having a reading experience. And that is why even on our micropayment model, people are reading and buying so many articles, because they go back to that old behavior of saying, I see a headline, I click on the headline, I read the article, I'm not worried about actually making a purchasing decision, right? It, so, so it's not really about brand recall. The problem with micropayments has always been transaction volume. And mm-hmm. iTunes and now Inkle are the only two examples I know of that have been successful with this model.
0: Correct. So uh, Gotham, quickly, just one thing. So picking up on the iTunes example that you just gave, I think while it works perfectly well for the reader or the user to actually pay exact like, like the same five cents for every for, for every content piece they consume, isn't it that it might not be the work, it might not be the best way to sort of pay the publisher. And I'll tell you why. So let's just say in India, let's take news laundry and Hindustan times as an example. Now, Hindustan times probably does like 1000 articles a day, news laundry does like say 10 pieces a day. So and obviously, one is the sheer volume of content. And second is what goes inside their content. So for example, let's just say each of the 10 pieces that news laundry does, that will be a long-form piece or like a podcast or a week uh, or, or like a podcast or a ve- video that has taken a week to produce. It has taken multiple people. The cost that News laundry incurs in producing that one content will be a lot higher than the cost than the Hindustan Times incur, for say, it's like a, like a single piece. So yeah. isn't it like isn't the model a bit unfair towards the smaller publisher then? Because small no, like bigger like legacy platforms, they are, they yeah. are getting a better buck out of this. No, 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 not at all. Because
1: um, you're looking at just one half of the revenue equation. You're looking at the um, price of the of what the person is paying. You also have to look at the volume, right? So what you're describing is that you guys have made a bet, right? And you made a bet that you are going to produce less content, but higher quality content, you are going to invest more in the content. Okay, if your bet is correct, then the behavior you should see from the consumer is that people are that much more likely to want to buy news laundry articles, right, that they will see an article from you versus from someone else. And they will say, I'm going to read the news laundry article, because I know it's going to be longer, it's going to be more in depth, they'll have a video in it, right? That is the bet you guys have made. And if your bet is correct, then you will see that translate in the customer behavior right? And we mm-hmm. see this all the time, right? Economist and uh, Financial Times don't supply anywhere near as much content on our platform as the Guardian. But people love to read Economist of Financial Times that content costs maybe more to produce, right? I'm not saying the Guardian's content does not cost money to produce, But even though the volume is lower there, people click on it disproportionately more often, right? Much, much, much more often, mm-hmm. because they know what they're going to get, right? So every publisher ultimately will make their own bet in any market, there will always be a cost leader, right? Someone who goes for volume at low cost. There will always be a quality leader, right? Someone who goes for high quality, low volume, right? And mm-hmm. every publisher make that choice individually. But you have to trust that your decision and the investment you're making is the right one. The only time it's a problem is if you guys have spent three times as much money, right? Three times as much time and produced an article that's three times as long, and is no more useful than the short snip, snippet for someone else. Correct. If you of have course. done that, then then of course no one is going to click on it, right? But if you have genuinely created value, you'll see not just three times; you'll probably see four, five, six, seven times because there is actually a winner takes all effect in that, right? Once you build that brand and that credibility, people say, "I won't read this from this publisher; I'll read it from news laundry," mm-hmm. right? So, so it, it's a, it's a little bit misleading to think of it just in terms of price because you have to consider the volume as well, and we see that in our data.
0: Correct okay so thanks gautam that's that's all the questions i had thank you so much for taking out the time and doing this thanks chitranshu thanks for tuning in this conversation is part of a larger piece we are doing on new subscription bundle services in stop press for those of you who may not know stop press is a weekly part column part newsletter to help you track the media ecosystem and make sense of it do check out and subscribe at ww.stoppress.substack.com i repeat ww.stoppress.substack.com all the news laundry podcasts are available on stitcher itunes and any other podcast platform please subscribe to news laundry help us keep news independent